So this is a special episode of the Ortho Show. You know, we have people on from all over the world, but uh, every once in a while, I have a dear friend as well. And, and we're having Jason Scott on as North Peak surgeon who specializes in sports medicine, international leader on cartilage preservation. And we go back 20 years. We have such rich connections for the people that we know. But what I really appreciate about Jason in particular in this episode is his ability to share in his wisdom, the things that he's learned over the years and be able to communicate, you know, really how he's gotten the sort of guru status. And those are my words, not his. But we talk about the efficiency of his practice, transitioning to becoming a mentor, relationships, collaboration, and then getting the reps and even developing consensus, having humility to know that other people can do things as well as you and coming together as a group. Absolutely love this man. Love this episode. You're going to love it as well. Hashtag follow the fro. At Koha Health, our goal is empowering your practice to achieve total financial health. We understand this looks different for every practice, which is why the Koha solutions are tailored to fit your needs. Our Koha Health team is here to guide your practice success by improving your financial process so you can collect all the cash you are owed, providing a great patient experience, and creating your plan for what comes next for you and your partners. Through open communication, this creative application of technology and a love for efficient processes, Koha ensures that you reach the next great milestone. You've built your practice. Let us help you build its future. To learn more, visit koahealth.com. That's K-O-H-A health.com. From medical media, this is The Author Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of the Ortho Show podcast, where everyone knows we bring you the best of the best in the orthopedic world. I have a dear friend on today. He's a great friend of mine for a very long time, Dr. Jason Scott. He's an orthopedic surgeon, specializes in sports medicine. He's in private practice in Salisbury, Maryland. He is an international leader on cartilage preservation, and uh, he is a great friend of mine. And Jason, it is a you're in the house, brother. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a, it's an honor to be a part of this, and I want to congratulate you for your success. and And um, and uh, I'm honored to be here today. You know, we're getting gray hairs, brother. You're not so gray. You still got some carrot top going on up there, but you know, <laughs> but I mean, we've known each other probably 20 years. I don't even know how yes. long it's been. You know, it's been about it's been 20 years. 2002 is is when we. Uh, uh, kind of began our journey together. Yeah, isn't that amazing? And we were young, yeah. buck, young bucks back then, and now all of a sudden we're like the old guys in the room, you know. But that is uh, an interesting transition, I think, in anyone's career when you're when you're no longer the new guy and and you're the one who uh, is is the the one that people are looking up to. Yeah, no, I was just at a meeting for Depew, and they had twenty guys in from all over the country. And I looked to my left and I looked to my right. I'm like, where are all those old guys that used to be here at this meeting that everybody just looked over at me? And I'm like, oh, my God, how did yeah, this happen I'm, so fast? Yeah, becoming the old guy. Exactly. But so we'll get to that because I know you've had some recent surgery. I want to talk about that. I think it'd be a great story for the listeners. But we always start at the beginning. So, yeah. dude, born and bred Southern California. I mean, yes. no one is born in California. I want to be clear about that. 
I know. It, you know, and it's funny because I live in an area now, the Eastern Shore of Maryland, Ocean City, where nobody is really from here and, uh, as well. Everyone sort of comes here. But I uh, am one of the few and the proud native Californians uh, uh, who was born in uh, Santa Monica. Uh, and I lived in Malibu uh, my entire life until I moved back east for school. Amazing. And so there was always a passion for you in that area, too. And so tell us about orthopedics. When was when was the bug there for you? How early on? You know, it's funny. So when I, I was when I, I was recently kind of going through some stuff, cleaning out the um, my garage and I found this book that I made when I was in kindergarten and I was flipping through the pages of it. And the first page said, I can't I want to become a doctor. And it drew, it was a picture, like a stick figure picture of, of, I guess, me with some sort of surgical mask on, you know, treating someone laying down. And what was funny was it was a broken leg. And, and I guess even from the very beginning, uh, I can't say I had an inspiring event where all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the, uh, my, my career. It's something that I, I feel like I've always wanted to do. So I can't really say when I wanted to do it. And I'm so focused and so driven in kind of anything that I take on that it's never been anything other than me wanting to become a doctor. I mean, that's so Heather's going to we're going to provide you an ortho show uh, T-shirt because clearly you are the earliest person so far on the ortho show <laughs> in your in kindergarten that you were deciding you were going to be a, a doctor, perhaps a, a broken leg doctor. Well, don't get me wrong. You know, I, I've I've had my injuries and and everything that every orthopedist has that drew them to the field. And and what's interesting in the way my my history, even with you, weaves in and out of my trajectory is that I was born in the hospital uh, that I ended up doing my fellowship in, and my primary care doctor was a guy named Dr. Grant, who was part of Dr. Mandelbaum's practice. In fact, Dr. Mandelbaum, who was my mentor um uh took over for todd grant and so he was the only doctor i ever knew i i you know i i had the, the dentist and then dr grant because i was always getting injured and so i do have that sort of slant to it as well but i think that's kind of a a unifying experience for all orthopedists we've had our injuries that drew us to it but but this has always been my trajectory yeah no it's one of the most common stories of our of our guests yeah. is that it was an orthopedic injury that drew them uh, yeah. in for sure right. all right so so, dude, I mean, you're you're surfing, you're eating tacos, you're wearing clam <laughs> diggers and flip flops right. your whole yeah, life, you know. Let me get away with yeah. that. Oh, uh, you know it's coming. It was coming at one yeah. point. But, any, <laughs> but anyhow, so you're doing all that, and then all yeah. of a sudden, you're like, all right, it's time, it's time to leave California. I got to go to college, and right. you're going to go to Ithaca, New York, of all places, to go to Cornell. What yeah. a, what a completely different spot than Santa Monica, California, for sure. Yeah, you know, I, I in 1989 when I graduated high school, um, you know, I had gotten into a lot of the California schools, and I just I, I had this wanderlust, and I really wanted to experience number one seasons. I, I had never seen anything other than 72 and sunny, and uh, I wanted to see what winter was like. I wanted to see what fall was like, and and I, it was just this sort of destiny um, that I is like the reverse manifest destiny where I felt like I needed to check out the East Coast to see what was like. I, I never in a million years envisioned that I would have stayed there and still be here. But I think it's an interesting, you know, sort of piece of advice to give to someone who is, is young and kind of thinking about where they may end up is, is you know, opportunities uh, present themselves in all 
uh, aspects of every day. And if you if you sort of close your mind off of something before you even finish it, you're going to really miss a lot. And and so keeping an open mind for for me and where I ended up and and staying there really was was probably the most uh, significant part of my uh, you know my life. Really, uh, it was leaving California and staying left. Yeah, your journey. I mean, and, yeah. and that's great words of wisdom from looking back at the young Jason from, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years right. ago. And so then you're, you're going to stick around, too. I mean, you go to medical school down in Philadelphia. Uh, that It was probably Hahnemann at the time, but now it's probably yeah. Drexel. Is it Drexel now? I think they yeah, you know, changed it, the name or went, something. <laughs> in my four years there, it went through three or four different name changes. And, and you know, don't get me wrong. I uh, was trying to get back to California. Um, uh, but like most of the people in my medical school class, uh, <laughs> I think 80% of my medical school class in Philadelphia was from California. Yeah. And so we we all kind of wanted to get back to California, but we never uh, were able to accomplish that. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, it's. I mean, it's hard. I mean, you know, Ramin's a dear friend of ours. We'll talk about Ramin coming up too. But yeah. you know, he's like the only guy that did all of that. Went on the East Coast journey and scored the job. You know. Oh man, how, yeah. I mean, how often does a job and for one of the top premier sports medicine practices in Southern California open up? It just, it's just not there that often. It has to. Yeah has to be a perfect scenario. So, but now, all right, so now you're in the whirlwind of the East Coast, man. You went to upper state New York and then you're in Philadelphia and then right. you come down to my hometown <laughs> and, you go, and you go and do your residency, University of Maryland, yeah. uh, which is a common ground for the two of us as well. So that must've been a, a, a great experience. Shock trauma, right? Was Anand Murthy must've been practicing at the time. Yeah, he, uh, Murthy came um when I was finishing up, I think when I was either a PGY four or PGY five, but I'll say, you know, the, the university of Maryland experience, um, uh, was unparalleled. Um, the, uh, you know, the ability to, uh, that at that time we were still pretty independent. Um, I remember, uh, it, we all have our funny stories, but I think I was, I was a two and I remember being told, uh, you're in, OR1 right now. And I, so I go in and it was an ankle fracture. It was a, you know, Weber B fibula fracture. And they said, fix that and then come meet us afterwards. And so I get in it waiting for an attending and I'm standing there and there's no attending. And I said to the scrub nurse, I said, what, what's going on? And she goes, oh, you're supposed to do this. And I said, do you know how to do this? She goes, yes. And I said, okay. So, so, <laughs> and, and I think, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, a lot of times, and there's a, there's a sort of a theme that I think has been important in, in my upbringing, uh, uh, my medical upbringing is humility and, and accepting advice from anyone who has seen more than I have. Um, and, and not, you know, wearing this, you know, this air of, uh, uh, you know, just this attitude saying, oh, I'm not going to learn from from this person because that person has been doing ankle practice for 20 years and I've been doing it for 20 minutes. So exactly. I'd be a fool not to accept their advice. And and I really, you know, even throughout time now, I still, if someone has a better way of doing it than I am, man, I want to hear about it. 100%. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, we all rely on, on, on um, uh, oh my God, I'm losing my times, but, but experience-based medicine 
yeah. is just as important as evidence-based medicine, right? I Absolutely. mean, yeah, you need randomized controlled trials and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, when you talk to a guy who's been doing this for 25 years and he says, hey, check this out. What do I got? Right. And you're like, that's cool, man. I never really yeah. thought about it that way. And you can really make differences. But I mean, that's a really good point, Jason, because I think for our younger listeners that are out there, as you're choosing a residency program, they all have different flavors, right? You know, right. some are the elite programs where, you know, look, you got to ask, are you going to be able to operate? You know, are you going to get your hands dirty here compared to other programs like the University of Maryland, where literally when you were done that program, you are a trained surgeon. I mean, you were literally yeah. operating, taking care of patients. If you didn't order the materials or the items, it wasn't going to be there. You just learned how to become a great surgeon. And my program at Tufts was very similar at that time. And right. you brought it up. I mean, we were doing 120 hour weeks. There was yeah. none of this 80 hour work week stuff, you know, right. putting in foley's, drawing blood and yeah. all that crazy oh, yeah. stuff. You know, I always thought that was ironic that they would call me to draw the blood if if they couldn't get it. And I was like, well, is that like a rite of passage? I'm like, you don't want me drawing blood. It's like even now to this day when when we do PRP, you know, uh, exactly. uh, in the office, I, I tell the patients that, uh, you know, I, I'm good at putting it in, but you don't want me taking it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly my nurse practitioner. Chris has been with me for 16, 17 years. Right. I'm like, you know, of course, at least draw the blood. I don't know how to do that stuff. Yeah. Exactly. But no, humility is is really a really important thing, I think it comes with wisdom. I think it comes with time, you know, recognizing that, that you're exactly what you said, that other people do things as well, if not better, and you should learn from them. So, you know, what, you had an amazing experience, probably, you know, Andy Burgess and Attila Polka yeah. at shock trauma and Jor Paley's putting on all those crazy yeah. limb lengthening things. Oh yeah. yeah. I have a great, great uh, uh, Andy Burgess story, which is kind of funny. So Andy was just retiring from, he was going to be retiring from shock trauma when I was finishing my residency. And, and the attendings at that time never really scrubbed. They just ran the C-arm. And, right. and, and so uh, I'm doing a tibial nail and uh, Andy comes up to me and, and Andy and I have become really kind of friendly uh, over the years uh, during of my residency. And he's like, he's like, Jason, can you do me a favor? Can you take me through this tibial nail? He's like, because I'm moving down to Orlando. I'm going to have to do <laughs> yeah, these now. Got to learn and, I said, and I said, what the F is going on that you're asking me? to?" <laughs> it was just kind of funny. And I just, it was just one of those moments that I remember um, uh, that was, it's true because, you know, we all have our role. Even to this day, you know, uh, you don't want me to make your ACL graph. You want my PA to make my ACL graph, you know? And it's the same thing. You, know, we, you have a rhythm, even though at that time I was the hands, the attending was the surgeon, right? And so I had the feeling I was doing the case, but they were doing the case. So it was a role reversal that I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, to our listeners, Andy Burgess was the, the chief of the shock trauma, which is where all trauma really came from in the United States. Oh, our, godfather our, of, of orthopedic trauma. Uh, yeah. yeah, and so here he is. This, this, yeah. Guy's in there for 20, 25 years, whatever, and he's fixed God knows how many people and all the broken bones, and now he has to learn how to do it because he's not going to have residence of fellows. So right. it's a interesting sort of uh, full circle uh, uh, story yeah. for sure. So, yeah. so all right, so you've got you've got eight years. No, we got four, we got eight, we've got five. You didn't tell me to be math. No, there is. I'm, I'm doing it for okay. you. Don't worry about it. So okay, you got 13 years 
away yeah. from the promised land of Santa Monica, <laughs> California, you know, still trying to get back home. Yeah. yeah. Your clam diggers are all folded up and they're inside. You got to go find them with your kindergarten. Report I didn't have card. them at that point. <laughs> I, I got them when I, when I was, when we're getting to the next phase of the story. So I we'll know. talk about that. So here's comes the fun part of the story. <laughs> this is where we really sort of collide. So you finally right. come back to Santa Monica and right. you, you go to the Mecca, the Santa Monica orthopedic group, which is just an amazing, you know, sports medicine fellowship with Bert Mandelbaum and Ramin Modaber and who, who am I missing? Gerhardt. And, I mean, the names keep going. Earhart, yeah. So we, we were co- Gerhardt. Kevin Earhart. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right. So Gerhardt, Mike Gerhardt and I were co-fellows and, and this was the first year that um, they were going to accept two fellows and, and Mike and I were on the fellowship track and we saw each other like a couple days before at Curl and Job. And, um, uh, and I remember we were talking about smog, uh, at Santa Monica orthopedic group. And I said, you know, Mike, they want two fellows. And I said, you and I get a, we knew each other from medical school. And I said, that'd be so cool if you and I were co-fellows together. And I really got this amazing feel from, from, uh, you know, Bert and, uh, I, I had a huge interest in joint preservation and, and luckily timed it just as the field was taking off. And so I really wanted to do that fellowship. And, and I'll never forget, I was uh, on my way to academy um, and um, I t- took a little pit stop to ski a couple days in Tahoe. And I'm standing in Caesars Tahoe uh, with, you know, all of the, 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 the pageantry and noise of a casino and it must have been a cell phone at that time. I, or I, I think I got paged and I had to call Bert back because I didn't have a cell phone because the cell phones at that point were like $10 a minute or something. So I'm calling <laughs> him back from a cell phone from the casino. And he's like, hey, Jason, I want to, you know, and he, um, he was offering me the fellowship and it's all these things are dinging around us. And, and he's like, and Gerhardt wants to be the co-fellow. It's like, holy cow. And it was just this amazing um beginning to to really what was an amazing year yeah i mean we got to get into it so i mean these guys you know they've all become like dear friends i mean i always joke around you know i did my fellowship at curl and joe but i have an honorary fellowship from smog you know for sure based on (laughs) and and vice versa yeah and vice versa exactly (laughs) but no tell us about it i mean you know so everybody knows burt mandelbaum sort of the godfather of cartilage and joint restoration and and he's still plodding along full steam ahead and then you got ramin who's like the carefree kind of dude who lets you operate and do a lot of cool stuff and I mean, and then Gerhardt, we're having Mike on, uh, I think, in about a month and a half. So we're going to be oh, perfect. Who's now the doctor to the stars, you know, all right. the dancing stuff that he does. But what an amazing year, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so and, and Tom Knapp was one of the attendees as well. Tom, me and, too. And, yeah. I know, for right. sure. Sorry. And, and sorry. The, the thing that Love I thought you, was, <laughs> yeah, that what I, I liked about the fellowship was it, it also I knew I was I already had kind of a job picked out um, before I even did fellowship. And I knew that. I had always wanted to have a practice like Bert did, which was an academic private practice. But I also knew I was going to have to <clears throat> do some, uh, you know, orthopedics, uh, not just uh, walking into, you know, a, an academic job. And so the neat thing about this fellowship was it, you know, you did what you did. You did all the amazing coverage of, you know, men's national team. And, and we can get into that in a minute. But um, also doing some of the uh, cases with some of the old guys. And, and at that time in that practice, there were two older uh, partners who were well into their 70s 
um, who would love to do fractures. And they were in Vietnam and they would, they were, they, I would scrub with them doing whatever type of fracture because I love to see the way they did it. And they had so much fun. You could tell this was, they were like having so much fun with each other. They were doing like, they were showing me ways of doing like a hip fracture on, on a table where you, you didn't need the fracture table. Like it was, it was really kind of a cool uh, experience to kind of have that as, as like a little addendum to, to my rich sports medicine um, uh, fellowship. Yeah. And then, and then it's back to the East coast. And so, right. uh, so was it right to Salisbury at that point? Did you take yeah, that job yeah. in between? Yeah. So, so when I was a, a chief resident, uh, Cliff Turin at the time who, um, you know, rest in, rest in peace um, uh, was, uh, came to us and said, uh, to my chief resident class, he goes, there's a practice on the Eastern shore of Maryland that needs a guy. And we hate everybody in the state of Maryland, but we like this practice. And, you know, like shock trauma is very, you know, if you don't do it the shock trauma way, um, uh, you're not look, you, you know, you, you're sort of not in their circle. Right. And, and so at, at that time, I haven't been there in a long enough time, but the, um, and so it had the respect of shock trauma. And so I was kind of interested because I knew I, I had a mandate from at this point. Now I have picked up a wife along the way, my wife, who I'm still married to uh, 23 years. Um, the uh, And so I went and I called them up and I said, hey, you know, I'm a chief resident and I, and I kind of want to take a look. I, I need to stay on the East Coast for, for my wife, but I need to be near the beach. And and so I, I call them up and, and I came like it was a Friday. I came down on the Tuesday because I happened to be off. And the entire practice showed up for a dinner, which was mind blowing because you can, I, you know, it's hard enough to get two people together, let alone an entire partnership. And the way I saw these guys interacting, I was like, wow, this is like a genuine, you know, these guys really get along well together. And I think this is going to be a great experience. And then they took me around and, you know, luckily Salisbury is where our main office is, but I live, uh, I live, if, if I can turn my camera around, I'm looking at the water. I, I live, you know, on the water at the beach. And that to have that opportunity uh, was, um, you know, af after looking at everything else that exists, nobody had ever left my group. People had only retired from it and still to this day. And so it was really enticing. And they originally wanted a foot and ankle guy. And again, to show that you should never turn down any opportunity. You know, I came in in sports medicine and I, I started uh, after I finished the fellowship and I came here. Um, my first case, August. 20th, 2003, was an autologous chondrocyte implantation with a high tibial osteotomy. First case I ever did in practice. That's Michigas. They didn't even know what that was back then. I mean, I know. you know, your yeah. other partners are looking at you like, what is that? Oh, yeah. No, I was like, <laughs> I'll never forget because I was, I was with my parents in Southern California buying a suit because I guess I needed a suit because I'm going to become an attending, right? And so, uh, and I get a phone call because at that point now I did have a cell phone. Uh, from the, the, my, my mentor in my practice, Tom Brandon, who just retired, who's absolutely actually one of the silent godfathers of sports medicine, phenomenal, very talented sports medicine surgeon up until the day he retired a few weeks ago. Um, and, um, the, uh, he's like, Hey, Hey, I want to tell you something. I, I got a guy. He's going to be a great first case for you. Uh, he, he's a 20 year old grad student at Salisbury university and he's got a big condyl defect and he's embarrassed. He, I, I did a cartilage biopsy, cartilage biopsy. You're going to do a, 
you can do a, an ACA on him. And I was like, okay, cool. When? He goes, August 20th. I'm like, <laughs> wait, don't I come there like that day? You know? It's like, and where so, do I park? Where do I park? Where's the locker room? So for, oh our, list- gosh. So for our listeners, it's a cartilage transplant procedure. So he had a right. defect in his cartilage. You take cartilage, you grow it in a lab. Yes, Varicel people, we love you. We're happy to give you a, a, an unsolicited plug. And then you put the cartilage back in. But because of his line, it was all off. You cut the bone, you shift it, and you put this plate on with screws. It's a it's a big deal operation. And in 2003, you know, yeah. it was a relatively, you know, new operation where only a few true academic, you know, cartilage people were doing it. And I love this part of the story for you, Jason, because for our listeners, again, you know, this was an opportunity and you carved out an immediate niche, you know, right. in this area. You had trained with the best. You learned all about cartilage restoration. You found a job in which you could do that day one, right? right. So many kids come out of fellowship and they expect they're going to do rotator cuffs and ACLs and they're sitting in their office, like twiddling their thumbs, doing ankle fractures, right? Right. What yeah. a cool opportunity. Yeah, it was. And, and, and it's been like that ever since. And 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 when I came out, at, you know, at, at that stage, um, we really didn't have a lot of options, right? For cartilage transplants, we had this cardicel or autologous chondrocyte implantation. We had oats where we'll take a plug from a healthy area on the knee and move it to where the defect was, or we'll do something called a microfracture where we'll poke little holes in the bone to get some stem cells to come in. It was that that was kind of it. Allograft was there but not not very yeah. robust as as in it allograft at that point was really more of a bailout when everything else failed and so so here i was you know uh, day one and and ironically uh, to this day we we uh, on august 20th um we send each other an email i always check in on him and it's still it. holding on which is crazy um it. yeah and 20, 20 and, years later yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, and that's really been the tr- from that really set the tone, I think, for the practice, for my practice life. Because, <clears throat> you know, one thing Bert taught me, and anyone who does a fellowship, I, I, I always like to say, you know, the first six months are learning the techniques. The, the, the second six months are learning the philosophy and, and, and the approach that your attendings take because they are mentors for a reason. And once you know how to do the things you do, I like to just see how how he approached patients and how he approached private life, family life, the balance, all of that. And, and one of the things that Bert taught me was never say no without problem. And, and to this day, I, I will never say no to anything, uh, any challenging case, uh, you know, I, anyone who does joint preservation uh, at this stage, you know, we're dealing with people who have had multiple, multiple surgeries. Um, and I like to be the person who, no, when no one else knows what to do, they come to me. And, and if I can't find a solution, um, I like to, uh, or if I can't find a solution right at that moment when I'm talking to the patient, I say, listen, you've got a complicated problem. I'm going to sit down tonight, write a problem list and think about it. And I'm going to get back to you with, I think it's going to be a good plan. And then I may reach out to, uh, you know, a couple thought leaders as well and, and collaborate and say, hey, I've got this problem. I was thinking this. And then they'll say, yeah, great idea. Or they won't say great idea. And my, like my PA who's been with me for almost as many years has, has grown up with me as well. And he has developed his style and thought processes and will make suggestions. And I'm like, man, I didn't think about that. That's a great idea. And so I accept ideas from everyone. 
Yeah, no, that's that's it's called guru status. It's sort of, you know, you you develop, you know, you learn it's the reps, right? Getting yeah. the reps over time, willing to be the expert, I think is is really important. Having humility to be able to uh, develop consensus with other physicians that have guru status as well. That's one of my favorite things to do when a patient comes in with a truly complex problem and it happens all the time. You wouldn't think so. I've been in practice for 25 years. There'll be somebody that walks in next week and I will actually have not seen that exact scenario of problem. And yeah. I'll do the same thing. I'll say, you know, Miss Jones, this is this is hard. I've been doing this a long time. With your permission, I'd like to get in front of some of my friends, develop a national consensus about how we can develop a treatment strategy. And patients love that. They're so appreciative, yeah. you know? What, so so one other thing I want to talk about, we're getting, we're getting close to the end. We could go for another three hours, but- I, know, I could, um, yeah. One of the things that you and I share is that we really are private practitioners, right. but yet have had a passion to maintain a national reputation, international reputation. And, and by doing so, you're involved in professional education, you're involved in societies. And so right. I, I want our listeners out there, especially our young residents or people that are thinking about what type of practice that they go into, you know. What's some good advice on in a private practice, how you can maintain that high level of being a thought leader uh, for other people to want to listen? That's a, that's a great question. And that could be an entire you know uh, podcast in and of itself. And, and uh, it, it's, it's developing relationships. Number one, relationships with industry uh, relationships um, within um, you know, your network of people that you know around the country and also being, uh, confident in the fact that um, uh, while I don't have, uh, you know, a powerhouse lab behind me of basic science, and I don't have an academic institution behind my name, um, I have, you know, a, a huge clinical experience. And, and, um, and so the reason why things go so uh, uh, grow so quickly is, is setting up the team around you. And, and I wanted to have a practice within a practice. And so what I did was I identified a way of efficiency in my, uh, how patients are brought in, how they get to me, um, and um, uh, the consistent phone calls, who they speak to, um, that, that, and, and uh, who my assistants are, who my medical assistant is, the x-rays I like when they walk into the office, um, the way an MRI is ordered, who I like the MRI from, who I like to read the MRI, and who I like to do my therapy. And to be honest, the, 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 any full-time employee in my group, for example, not everyone wants to work with me because um, uh, we, we, we have a, a, an efficient pace. I'll never say I'm fast. I'm, I'm, I'm fast when I'm out of the office. I, when I'm sitting next to a patient, I'm never in a hurry um, because I make up my time between patients. And if we have 64 patients in a day, which is, I think, our template, if I can save one minute per patient of BS between patients, then I saved an hour and five minutes, right? And so I set up these models. And after 20 years, I've realized how you are efficient and, and it's putting the right people in that job. And once somebody uh, is empowered. And the, even the medical assistant who's walking the patients back to the room, they are not brain dead just walking from point A to point B. They're like, okay, this is Dr. Scott. He's got, this is a 16-year-old with a soccer player. I need to get x-rays for him. And I know I'm going to get my MRI order for him right now. So then bam, when I walk out of the room, 
that stuff's done, right? So, so having an efficient practice allows you to develop a robust experience and allowing uh, one other sort of thing uh, moving from that is, is becoming a resource for everyone around you. Um, I basically, within my group, I have 13 partners, 17 PAs, we have you know a huge kind of practice, but within my community, I always would say anything that you're confused about, reach out to me. I'm happy to see it. And, and I'm never going to steal a patient. I'll say, Hey, and I'll call him up and say, listen, uh, you know, patient X had, uh, has an ACL and he also has this medial meniscus root tear. I would recommend this plus this. And, um, he's coming back to you and then I can hear them say, Hey, you know, can you take care of it? And then all of a sudden I would take care of any disaster, anything that everyone didn't want to do. I started doing. And then all of a sudden it was like, holy cow, I'm doing all this complex surgery uh, and I have this amazing support system around me and it just builds on itself. And the final thought that I had was, and I was going to talk to you about this, is, is this, how you transition from this young guy to sort of a mentor is when I became the they. <clears throat> you, you always sit and hear your mother-in-law say, they say you shouldn't eat after, you know, eight o'clock at night, or they say this, or they say that all of a sudden, I realized one day, you, me, me, like we've become the they, and how do you become the they? That's an individual practice, you know, that's an individual thought for every surgeon out there. Um, for me, it was experience, collaboration, uh, and confidence in my training and confidence to take a step into the unknown, knowing that I'm patient centric and patient focused always. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, there's so many things that got packaged in there, which are just sort of golden nuggets, you know, for our <laughs> listeners out there, efficiency in practice. I always say, you know, I'm the same way. We use the word efficiency. We never use the word fast. One of my right. favorite sayings is, you know, a patient's time is as valuable as, as ours is. Yeah. We're going to see 64 patients today. But every member of my team is making sure that that patient's hopefully in the room within five minutes of their appointment. So they've right. had lots of care before they get there. And then the professor walks in and you sit down and you give them the love and the amount of time that each one needs. Exactly. You know, you know relationships, collaboration, great words, to, you know, as you're establishing yourself in practice, uh, becoming the they love that, you know, really, when do you become the guru, the master, the mentor, when does that transition and happen? And it just sort of overnight, one day you realize it really all amazing stuff, Jason. I mean, I think back, you know, 20 years ago when we're running around and having fun and learning as much as we can and being with our cool group and the friends that we still share to this day. Uh, it's amazing that here we are, you know, at this stage in our careers. Well, you know, in the clam digger thing, I, I will say what <laughs> happened with us. So clam diggers are pants. They're they're not quite shorts. They're not quite long pants. They're sort of in the mid range, right? Kind of. I, was, I wasn't going to go capris. I was I was given the clam diggers, but that's okay. That's fine. I mean, because I live and we we dig for clams around here, so it's appropriate. But so I was with the U.S. soccer team. This is a great story from my fellowship. It was like a Thursday, and Bert comes up to me and says, "I need you to travel with the men's team to France." I'm like, he's like, do you have a passport? I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, why? What's up? And he's like, because your flight's tonight. And I'm like, 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> so I get there. I literally, and they, they don't have my bag. And so I have no clothes. And, I, and so I'm wearing like team gear and everything. But when I, when I, it was hot, I was in like Southern France, Lyon for like two and a half weeks. And I needed to buy shorts and being Europe, those were the only shorts they had. So I, I come back. Now I think I'm this great European dude, right? I'm so hip and I have these cool like capris or clam diggers, whatever you want to call them. And I wear them confidently out with you uh, for whatever we were doing. And to this day, I'm still getting a hard time for that. I still have them. That's awesome. 20 years later. I love it. They still fit. I don't think I have worn them since then. Uh, but uh, um but I do still have them and, and they are a fun reminder to the good times that we've had together. Oh, for sure. You know, look, you know, Jason, I, I love it. I knew this would be a great episode and lots of fun. And as I said, you know, we could go on forever, but there was yeah. some, some really great sagely, you know, wisdom and counsel in there for our listeners, you know, for guys like us who have been doing this for 25 and, you know, 30 years, uh, you know, right. I want to, I want to thank you, uh, for for all of the amazing efforts that you have within cartilage preservation, you're a thought leader, you're a teacher, you really elevated our game and really helped us and you continue to do so in that space. You know, it's just a, it's just such a pleasure to know someone have, having gone through that same gauntlet uh, mm -hmm. really at, the, at this point right here. So I just really personally thank you for an amazing career and being a great friend. Yeah. And I, you know, I appreciate that. Um, None of us are ever good at, at receiving thanks, so thank you. But I also want to congratulate you on on this success. You know, in preparation for this, um, I went back and I was listening to some of your shows from the beginning, kind of the middle, and then more recent. And the the way you, you know, kind of grab uh, the the you know everyone in our field and and bring them down to a personable level um, and and is is it's a talent and i appreciate what you're doing and i also appreciate your perspectives on the things that you're doing as far as opioid sparing um i've just gone through surgery opioid sparing no no pain medicine at all awesome. um yeah and and i i i pass that on to all my patients as well so i appreciate everything you've done for orthopedics and for me yeah no i mean this is this is what i love it's the passion it's a labor of love you know, to be able to tell the amazing stories of such unique people and how they make a difference in so many people's lives. It's a real privilege to be able to do that. Uh, this is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho Show. Till next time. <laughs>